tonight. Um, and you can turn with me, if you will, to the first chapter of the book of Joshua. Uh, I once read this story, and this was in Reader's Digest, that uh, this lady wrote in the Reader's Digest. She said, my grandmother was a ball of fire, while my grandpa was slow and deliberate. One night, they were awakened by a commotion in the chicken house. Grandma sprang out of bed, ran to the chicken house, and found the cause of the racket. A large black snake having nothing to dispatch, uh, to dispatch it with, she clamped her bare foot down on its head. There she stood until Grandpa finally arrived. A good 15 minutes later, he was fully dressed, even had his pocket watch in place. Well, he said cheerfully to my disabled and enraged Grandma, if I'd have known you had him, I wouldn't have hurried so. <laughs> One other a wife called her doctor one morning saying, Doctor, come quickly, it's my husband. And the doctor calmly said, Well, what's the matter? Well, he got up this morning and took his vitamin pill. Then he took his appetite suppressant and his antidepressant and his tranquilizer. He also took an antihistamine and some benzidine. Then he lit his cigarette and there was an explosion. <laughs> All right. Well, my message tonight is the God who stands by your side. The God who stands by your side. And let's go to Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 through 6, and listen to what this says. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, he came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore rise, go over, uh, over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving them, the children of Israel. And every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I give given to you, as I have said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river and the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and of the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you, and I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this People you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers and give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law of Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper whenever you go. Verse 8. And this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but to you shall be meditated on it day and night and may observe to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid, nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Well, when I read, when I, when I read there's such a, I don't know why anybody would not understand what the, the Old Testament does for us as we read through and, and the illustration. Many times in the Bible it tells us there's a mystery. And the mystery that we see many times in the Old Testament that we totally don't understand is explained in the New Testament. Or many times when it talks about a mystery in the New Testament, we can go back and we can see how practically it shows us uh, an incident in the, in the Old Testament to do that. So I can't understand why anybody would say it's not essential to read the Old, the Old Testament. And in fact, when I read, when I read uh, what happened in Exodus all the way through Deuteronomy and where I, see, where I see the children of Israel that refused to go into the promised land 
it reminds me of chapter 7, chapter 7 of, of, the, of the book of Romans. For in that chapter, in chapter 7, I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood, uh, uh, in the, or somewhere in the neighborhood of 19 times, uh, or excuse me, 42 times, the words I and you and me are used in that chapter, in chapter 7. And is it any wonder in the, the Holy Spirit is not mentioned until we get to about Romans 5, 5. And it, that's the first time that the Holy Spirit is mentioned. But when we get over to chapter 8, all of a sudden in chapter 8, we find that the Holy Spirit is mentioned 22 times. What a difference it makes. For in chapter 7, he's saying to us simply, the things I know I should not do, uh, I do, and the things I know I should do, I don't do. And he asked the question over in chapter 7 of Romans, who shall deliver me from this body of blood guiltiness? And he goes on to say, oh, wretched man that I am. And then he goes on, he says, how to perform I find, to will is present, he says, but how to perform I find not. And then we get over in opening up in chapter 8. And chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no more condemnation to them in Christ Jesus. So what do we see? We see mankind coming from the wilderness and they're passing over into the promised land in chapter 8 is what we see in Romans. And it's the same thing for us. As we strive and we try to live the Christian life, it's coming to a place in your life where we understand. I think the focal point where we come to a place in our life is when we finally come to the place that we see in chapter Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. That's where we've got to go to because Paul in chapter 2, verse 20 says, For I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I, live, I, don't, uh, nevertheless I don't live, but Christ Jesus that lives within me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's that coming to that place that you understand that the Christian life is not hard. The Christian life is impossible if you don't have Christ in your life. You've got to allow him to come in and take over and live in you. So we see uh, this person of Joshua in this. And, and Joshua, God continually is telling him while he gives him these things to do that I'm never, you're not, I'm going to always stand by your side. So Moses has died. The Lord has anointed Joshua as a new leader. And can you begin even to imagine that now Joshua is in what's going on in his mind because he is now the new CEO of the new Canaan? Uh, do you think he remembered those 39 years that they wandered in the wilderness when God first asked them to go into Canaan and, he, and the 12 spies came back and 10 of them, two of them, only Joshua and also Caleb, said we can do it. After all the things that God had done, after he had opened the Red Sea and had, had let them through and then swallowed up Pharaoh's army, after he had brought water to them from a rock, after he had sent manna from heaven to do it, when they didn't like the manna, he sent quail to them. All the things that God did, when he had them to make up a serpent on a stick and he held it up and when he would, that, that they went through a whole region where there were poisonous snakes and as long as they kept their eyes on that, on that as that and uh, that they, they could not get bit. And you hear Jesus saying to us, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. That's what he's done. And so we see all that, and yet those ten spies, says, they were scared to death. We can't do it. I wonder as we set out and we start to begin to walk with him, 
And the Bible says this. It says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But are we willing to do that? God has said he'll strengthen us. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But are we, the question is never, never whether we can do it. Are we willing to do it? You know, are we willing to let go of everything and let him have it? And so here in Joshua, here's Joshua standing with God, the new CEO of the new Canaan, and, and, uh, and he remembers those times. And he remembers the fact that God's not changed his mind. You know, when we look at the Garden of Eden, God's not changed his mind about that either. The day's going to come when he's going to restore all that. He'll restore every bit of it one of these days in the millennium and things where that we'll, we'll be able to live his, his purpose and everything will be totally restored in that time. So God's not changed his mind. And so once again, he instructs Joshua to go back and to take the promised land. Take what is yours. See, the Bible teaches me over in, over in also in, um, it's, it's in the, um, it's in the book of Ephesians, where he tells us that you and I, uh, the, the things that God has done with us is that, is that beyond this world in many ways. He tells us simply, um, li- listen to what he says over in Ephesians chapter 1. I didn't give you this, Brandon, but Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God, the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with ever spiritual, uh, spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. That's what he's told us. He goes on to verse 4, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He goes on to, him that, uh, he goes on to tell us simply that, uh, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which we purposed in him, and he also tells us simply that we have been already seated. He tells us that we've been seated. Verse 20, he says, For which we worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. can talk about Jesus. But in chapter 2, verse 6, And he raised us up together and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You've already been seated in heaven. God's got a picture of you in heaven waiting on you. He's got a picture of what you're going to look like. When Jesus gets through with you. And that's why the Bible says over in in Romans chapter 8 verse 29. uh, When it talks about some people are scared to death of the word predestination. But if you read it and read what it says in 29. It says for whom the Lord did foreknow. He did predestinate to do what? He predestinates. God, listen. God, he predestinates. Why? That means he knows the future. He has to. He's God. He's omniscient. He knows everything. So whom the Lord did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed, what? To the image of his son. What's the purpose of predestination? That you're going to look like Jesus. You're going to love like Jesus. You're going to have the joy of Jesus. On and on we could go. All those things. And so here he is. He's, he's already, that you and I, it's everything. You know, the Bible teaches us that when you and I got saved, everything that we as a Christian need to walk the Christian life was given to us. Everything. You say, well, then why is it that we have such problems? Because we don't use it. We don't do it. We, 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 we allow other things to come into our life. You know, we, 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 don't, we don't take what is there for us to be able to use what God has done for us. It's absolutely learning how to walk and trust in Him. 
So God calls his people to enter into a rest by entering Canaan under the leadership of Joshua. Now, I, now the Bible tells us in, in Psalms 139 too that God understands my thoughts afar off. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows everything, what you're thinking tomorrow and everything. God's not, God is not in a box. He's outside of time and space. And so God understands my thoughts afar off. So God knew exactly what Joshua must have been thinking when he told him what you're going to do. Just as he knows what you and I think, thus he knows what our motivation is. Now think about that for a moment. God knows your thoughts, but when you go to do something, he also knows your motivation. He knows why you're asking for it. This is why, you know, the Bible tells us over in the book of James, the reason we have not is because we ask not. But he also goes on and tells us that the very reason that many of our prayers are not answered because we ask amiss. What does that mean? It means that we're asking for the wrong reasons. I'm asking for something that used utilized for me, and, and when I may be making it sound like I'm doing it for everybody else, I'm not really doing it. So God understands all that. He, he knows all those things. So he, but, you know, by the same token, just as he knows what you and I think, thus he knows what our motivation is. So he wants us to bring our doubts and our fears to him so your problems become your prayer list. I, I like that. I, I, you know, I heard that the Lord sort of gave that to me for this um, morning sermon, but I, but I love that, that. What's your prayer list? It's your thoughts. It's your, all the things that are in your life that is going on. That's your prayer list. You know, and, and, and the wonderful thing about all this, see, if you go to 1 John 1, 7, that says, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. What does that mean? God's saying, I'm not going to deal with you until you're honest and open with me. Remember the story of the Phoenicia, uh, Phoenicia prayer of Phoenician woman, thank you. Uh, uh, remember that story? How she came to Jesus and she asked him if he would heal her daughter. And, and, and Jesus' response to her, a lot of people have a hard time with that. They say, well, how? Jesus was almost being rude to her. No, he wasn't. Because what she, he said, he asked her to, she asked him to heal her daughter. And, and what did he say? He says, it's not right for me to take the food of the children and give to dogs. Some people say, well, man, he's calling her a dog. No, because then she looked at him and she said, yes, Lord, but it says... Even the dogs get to eat the crumbs under the table. Now, what was going on here? Well, when she came to Jesus, if you read it, she said, Son of David, Son of David. What was she doing? She was playing like she was a Jew because she thought if she played like she was a Jew or tried to play something that she was not, she would get what she wanted from the Lord. And Jesus understood. He understood who she was, that she wasn't Jewish. And so God's not going to deal with us as long as we try to fake out and try to be something we're not. He knows whether we're real or not. And so he knows every sin in our life. He knows everything. Get this. He knows everything about you, every sin, everything there is in you. And yet he still loves you. See, that's the thing for me to understand. That I can be real with him. I don't have to fake out. You know, I don't have to be something I'm not. I don't have to be a hypocrite. I don't have to be a fake out. I can, I can be myself and he still loves me. It's unbelievable. And so, you know, because he understood Joshua's thought patterns, look at the promises that the Lord made to Joshua. Now, he said, first off, he said this in verse 3. He said, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given it to you as I did with Moses. 
He said, every place that wherever you're, you're, you stand, I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to give that to you. And in verse 5, he said that no man will be able to stand with you all the days of your life. That's what he said. And as I was with Moses, he will said this, I will be with you. Psalms 103.7, he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. Well, what's, what, wait a minute. What's the difference here? Or in other words, Moses, in, in other words, just as Moses had an intimate relationship with me, so shall I be intimate with you. See, there's a lot of people in this world can talk about God and everything else, but they may know the acts of God, but they don't know his ways. They don't know, they're not intimate with him. And that's what Jesus wants us to be. He wants us to come to the place that we're intimate. And, and so he says to him, he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And has not the Lord basically told us the very same thing? He tells us over in the book of Hebrews that I, the same thing, Hebrews 13, 5. For he himself has said, I will never leave you and never forsake you. And he won't. And I catch myself praying every day. When I get ready to pray, I say, Lord, be with me. Well, why is that wrong? Because he's already told me he will be with me. I don't have to ask him to be with me. He is with me. And, and that's something I've got to, see, I've got to come to that place that I, that I, that I understand that. He is with me. And as the Lord now told us over in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. And what's he going to do? He's going to direct your paths. He will direct your path. That's what it says. Is this intimate relationship, is that what Jesus is wanting from each of us? Does he want that with you? Does he want to be so close? Well, listen to what it says over in John 15, 5. He said, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all these things that I've heard from my father I have made known to you. You see, Jesus had three relationships. He had a relationship with one that was a hireling. Well, who was a hireling? Judas. Why? Because he tells us what a hireling does. A hireling says, a hireling is a person that's been hired to watch the sheep. But he also tells us that when the wolf comes, what does he do? He runs. That was Judas. When the pressure got on, he, he folded his tent up with Jesus. The hireling does that. Then he's also got, he's also got what he calls servants. Who's the servants? That's the eight, eight of the disciples. That's the eight disciples. And how many times do we watch him and we hear Jesus say to, to the eight disciples, he says to them, you all go over here while we go over here and pray. Now, does it mean he didn't love them and didn't care for them? No, he loved them, he cared for them. But he had, he had, three, he had, three, he had three disciples that he was really close with, that, that they knew everything. In other words, that's the same thing in your life, how you've got to be careful about relationships. I believe in your life you'll probably have many relationships with people, that you'll have, you'll have many acquaintances. You're going to know a lot of people. But the truth of the matter is, if you, have four, if you have four, three or four or five actual friends, and I'm talking about somebody that you could call up in the middle of the night at 3 o'clock in the morning and say, I'm in trouble, can you come to me? They would come. I'm talking about somebody that when everybody else is going against you and saying things against you and, and saying, boy, I, I tell you, I've heard some people say that he did this, whatever, and because you're friends with them and you speak up and you say, I won't believe it until they tell me that. Now, who was that? That was Peter, James, and John. 
They got to see Jesus at his best. They were on the Mount of Transfiguration when the glory of God came down and they saw him in that way. But they also got to see him in his worst. For it was those three that was with him in the garden when his sweat became as great drops of blood. And, and he asked his father, and said, Father, if there's any way possible that you can move this from me, take it from me. Uh, you know, so you got to be careful sometimes. You know, uh, there's a, in the, I think it's in the book of Ezekiel, I believe it is. Correct me if I'm wrong, but when the Babylonians came came to see uh, to see some of the things that uh, what had been done in the kingdom, uh, I think it was Ezekiel, maybe it was Isaiah. I'm not sure which one it was. They came back and said, "What did what did you show them?" And they said simply said, "Well, I showed them everything we had." And he said, "You shouldn't have done that." He says, "Now they're going to come back and in late in." He, was, he survived because the Lord held, withheld him. But later on, where the Babylonian captivity came in, they came in because they saw everything. You, you know, I, I, I say many times there's a verse of Scripture in the Bible that says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. You, know, you, you can't tell everybody everything. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying you got something to hide. I'm just saying simply that some people will take what you tell them or whatever and they'll use it against you. And that was Judas. That's, what do you think it was when Jesus decided he wanted to go to the upper room for the, uh, to have the, the Lord's Supper? And he told the disciples to go into Jerusalem and find a man carrying a pitcher of water. And Because the women usually carried the water, not men. But you'll find a man with a pitcher of water and tell him the Lord needs of, of this room. He goes, he doesn't give him an address. Why didn't he give him an address? Why doesn't he? Why didn't he say, "Well, you go go down there, and I want to rent that room down at, uh, or I want that room on Third Grace Street or wherever it is, you know, or in Jerusalem, wherever it would be, you know, whatever." Why didn't he do that? Because he knew that Judas was listening. You don't tell things in front of everybody that will use it against you. In some ways, you got to be a private person. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. That's what he says. And so, so, so all, all I'm saying is, is that Jesus said. Well, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all the things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. It's the intimacy. And this is what he was saying to Joshua. You're going to have that intimacy with me. And did not Jesus say in Hebrews 13, 5, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. All of this, not this is, is this not the same for us? Joshua faced unbelievable challenges, but so do we in this life. And I really believe that it's going to get worse. I hate to be a pessimist. I want to be an optimist. I don't want to be a pessimist, but I'm telling you guys, I believe as we walk on and live on, we're going to see worse and worse things happen. And you, as you name the name of Christ in your life, it's going to cost you something. And this is the same for all the promises are for us too. What he, told, what he told Joshua, he's saying to us, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you. I will stick closer to you than a brother. I'll do all these things. Don't be afraid. Don't be in fear. I'm with you. Now, look at verses 6, 7, and, and also 9, because in 6, 7, and 9, God emphasizes what he will do with Joshua. He wants Joshua to do. He tells him to be strong. And of a good courage. Then in, in, in verse 6, in verse 6 and then verse 7, he repeats it again. And then he repeats it again in verse 9. You see, God never sends you into any place that he first doesn't supply you with the need you're going to have. Or he knows what he's fixing you to do. And he will stand with you in all those things. 
And so as he does that, he says it's three times. He repeats this, be strong and of good courage, because he knew what he was going to be facing. He knew there were going to be some battles. Do you know, do you understand that once they crossed over Jordan River and they went into the promised land, that the battles, the enemies were still there? See, we get the idea that when we become, a lot of people get the idea that when you become a Christian, boy, all your battles are over with and you don't, listen, your battles will probably get worse. And that's what he's trying to let us know. He's trying to let us know the fact that, that, Though we're a Christian, and, and, you know, the devil probably was leaving you alone before you got saved. You know, but after you got saved, man, he comes at you all the time. Why? Because before he had you. Now he doesn't have you. He's trying to do everything he wants to do. And this is what God is trying to say to Joshua here. Be strong of good courage. So how do you do that? Well, Philippians, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter chapter 6 verse 10 he says this and here's what he tells us to do listen he says finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and the power of his might do you hear this do you you hear these words be strong in the Lord not strong just you be strong be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might this is the same thing Zechariah says to us when Zechariah 4 6 says this is the word of the Lord of Zuberville, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. If you're going to be successful in the Christian life, you've got to learn how to walk with the Lord. You've got to learn how to let him have things. You've got to learn how to pray, and, and you've got to learn how to get on your knees and to fight your battles. You, 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 can't win, you cannot win if you do not do that. And so this verse 16, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. This is a great verse for us today. For I believe we live in a generation of what I would call sissification. Let me say that again. You didn't get that. We we, we live in a time, I believe this with all my heart. We believe in a time, a generation of sissification of the saints. We don't have any guts. We live with the idea that we should be vulnerable and we ought to be sensitive and we ought to be transparent and all the other 80s and 90s buzzwords. So now we got men trying to be women and women more masculine than men and men playing nursemaid to a poodle puppy can't keep their pants up. And a lot of Christian moaning and groaning about their situation because their lives are centered on how they're doing. And get this, how they are feeling and how they're treated. I'll tell you, that's one where we need to get out of our vocabulary. And yet I hear Christian people all the time talk about, well, I just don't feel how I feel. Here's how I feel. I feel. I feel. Listen, God, he, what, the opposite of feeling is faith. It's what the Word says. And, and that was exactly what I was telling you this morning. Why did Jesus get upset with the disciples when the storms came? He got upset with them because he had told them we're going to the other side of the lake. And they're, they're, don't you care, Lord, that we're about to drown? They didn't believe what he said. It's the same thing for us. We don't believe what he says. You know, there's some tough battles ahead for Joshua and Israel. So three times God tells Joshua to be strong and good courage. But you can't be strong and be good courage if you're self-centered. Because what do you mean, Lee? Because you're on the throne where God has been dethroned. 
Listen, the Lord will never ask you to do something that he has not enabled you to do. I wish you'd listen. The Lord will never ask you to do something that he has not enabled you to do. And then in verse 5, he tells us, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. That no man will be able to stand before you in all the days of your life. And then and he says, As I was with Moses, I will be with you. Psalms 103, 7, He made known his ways to Moses and acts to the children of Israel. And so he tells them all to be strong in this. And so be not, he goes on, be not dismayed. How do, you, how do you do that? How do you not be dismayed? Verse 9, here's, here's what he tells you to do. And I'm afraid this is where, as, as Cricket and I had this discussion this past week about the rapture. And, and I, I tell you what I really believe. I believe with all my heart that we're going to see things like we've never seen them before. Do I believe we're going through the rapture? I mean, going through the, the uh, tribulation? No, I don't believe we're going through the tribulation. But I believe we're going to see some things that are really going to cause some people. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to leave the church because it's going to cost them something to stay. There's going to be a lot of people that will quit witnessing, quit reading their Bibles, quit praying, whatever else because of that. And when these things come, and already we're lazy enough that we don't do it, and when these things come on us, we're not going to be able to stand. You cannot stand if you're not in this book. You cannot stand if you don't have a relationship with the Lord. And I'm not just talking about getting saved. I'm talking about where that you're praying and really on your knees with Him on a daily basis and you're giving things over Him. You cannot stand if you don't learn how to discern things. Because this government and the way that we're going right now is going to have you do some things that the Lord is going to show you simply. That ain't right. It's just not real. So thank God that, that the Lord is with us uh, you know, but on a day-by-day basis, the Lord tells Joshua to accomplish this task and this way of living. Then he says, and then he says this in verse eight: "And this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. If you want success, if you want to make your way prosperous, then this book has got to be part of your life." So this is how we know that the direction the Lord tells us to go. You know? Romans 12, 2, And do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I need to know the will of God. I need to know the will of God from the standpoint of which way to go. But I also need to know the will of God when I'm to stop doing things. I've said that this morning. That's something the Lord said to me uh, this past week. You know, why should I know the will? Of, why do I need to know the will of God? Because there are times, you know, you think about this. In, in the illustration I use with Jesus, you know, Jesus in the 17th chapter, I don't know, it's, it's, it's uh, John, I think it is, where Jesus says to the Lord, he says to him, I finished what you've given me to do. Man, wait a minute, Jesus. There's more people to heal. Wait a minute, Jesus. There's more people that need to hear the word of God. Wait a minute, Jesus. There's more things. No, he says, I have finished what you've given me to do. 
And as a result of that, here you got Paul, he's talking to Timothy, and he tells to Timothy, you know, uh, he says, I've finished my course, I've run my race, and as a result of that, henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, not only for me only, but also for all those that love his appearing. There comes a time when God says, you're done. You're done. And, when, and you know, I, I, see, it's God running things. He'll tell you when to do things and when not to do I, You know, one of the verses of Scripture over in the book of Hebrews talks about people, uh, it talks about dead works. And if you're in my Sunday school class, you know what dead works are. What's dead works? Anything that God didn't initiate. And why is it there are so many sourpuss Christians that look like they've been baptized in lemon juice? Why is it there are those people? Why are those people there? Because they're doing something that God never told them to do. And when you do something that, that you know, he, he's not told you to do, then this is where you get into problems. This is why Jesus said, come to me, all you that labor heavy laden. I'll give you rest, learn of me. For my yoke is what? Easy. And my burdens are what? Light. If you go, oh, honey, I'm just hanging on. All oh, the burdens are light. Maybe Jesus said his burdens are light. What are you doing? What are, you, are these burdens so hard? So, so anyway, so, so he, he's just simply saying, so if you want to say, I mean, really in these days that are leading up to the rapture when God gets ready to come for us, we've got to be strong in the power of his might. All these things that God is saying to Joshua right here as he gets ready to enter into Canaan, as we get ready to enter into this new phase in our lives, as a result of the Lord coming, we're going to have to do the very same thing. The Bible assures us that the situations in the Old Testament are for our instruction so that we know how to walk today. For instance, God calls every man and woman to come and walk worthy of him. 1 Timothy 4, 7, but reject profane old wives, wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. He also says this. He says this in 2 Corinthians. And what's he saying? 2 Corinthians 5. This is where he says to be absent in this body is to be present with the Lord. But listen to what he says. He says we make it our aim we make it our aim, whether we're in the body or out of the body, that's what he's really saying. We make it our aim, whether present or absent, we'll be well-pleasing to him. So while we're in this world, we want to be well-pleasing to him. When we go to the next world, we want to be well-pleasing. That's what he's saying to us. And, and so then, also on this whole thing, Romans 12, 1, to, to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Why, what does it mean when the Bible tells you it's a living sacrifice? A living sacrifice can get off the altar. You say, I'm going to give all this to Jesus. So you can change your mind. You can go get up the altar. Well, I'm not going to do this anymore. You know, and, and so, so, uh, so thus we are to be godly, well-pleasing, living sacrifice. Thus we're not to allow the world to shape us or put us in the mold that the world wants us to have. Well, the world's trying to do that to us. I mean, think about this. I don't know whether you, what you watch or you know, YouTube or whatever you think, but I get so fed up with all these commercials. And have you noticed lately, have you noticed lately that Cricket tells me all the time, says, I can just be thinking about something, and I'll go pick up my phone, and all of a sudden, it's on my phone. You know, are we not living in a demonic time? Are we not living in a time in which the, the devil is, is knows what's going on, and he, he's, he's bringing us to that point? So, 
you know, so some would ask this question: Well, how can the Lord expect me to do what in the world, what what in uh, to do in this world and the times that we're living in? Some would even say God might as well expect me to go to Canaan in the land of giants and take it. Guess what? He does. He tells us to stand. He calls us to rest and and you and I and to do face the giants today. What giants do we, and so I quit looking at the Bible when it talks about my enemies, and I say, well, that was them, you know, and I read the book of Psalms and it talks about my enemies. And I've got an enemy. Who's the enemy? you got an enemy. Who's that enemy? The devil himself. He doesn't like you. He hates you. And he'll do anything in the world to try to bring you down. What giants do we face today? We fa- we're facing the giant of homosexuality is one of the things that we're facing. We're facing the, the giant of sensuality that's everywhere, the giant of abortion, the giant of materialism, the giant of relativism that we have no absolutes anymore, the giant of social media, the giant of injustice. But the good news is in 1 John 5, 4, it says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. He tells us that we overcome the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. How do we face life? The Lord tells us he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us, just as he did with Josh. How do we face death? What does Psalms 23 say? You know, it tells us to do what? Psalms 23, it says, As I walk through what? The valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why will I fear no evil? Because what? Thou art with me. If you notice there, what's he saying? As I walk through the valley, and, and notice this, I walk through a valley. It doesn't say I go there to stay. I walk through the valley that I'm heading towards where I'm going to the Lord. So I walk through that valley of shadow of death. And, and it's a shadow. And what's the shadow? Shadows can't hurt you. So I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And, 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 and how can I walk through that? Because the Lord is with me. And when you die one of these days, guess what he's going to do? According to the 16th chapter of the book of Luke, he sends his angels to come and get you. One of the saddest verses in the Bible is when the rich man, and i got to hurry, I know, the rich man, uh, rich man and Lazarus, and it says of the rich man, it says this, and he was buried. Isn't that sad? Listen, I've done funerals where nobody showed up. We buried him. I did, I did a funeral out here at the Potter's Grave one time, and only, only, uh, only people that were there, me and the grave diggers. I did a funeral, I did a funeral not long ago. Uh, well, I did a funeral one, t- uh, one time that the family did not show up. The funeral home called them and said, Hey, are you, when are you all, the, the funeral's getting ready to start, are you all coming? No, nope, we're, done, we're done with them. Now, I read one of the articles in a, in a funeral director's magazine that shows you my scope of reading anymore. But in a funeral ma- uh, magazine, it said that one of the problems that many funeral homes in larger cities were having were people that were calling the funeral home and saying, my mother or my dad died, and we need you to come and get them. And they said, okay, we'll do it, and they go get them. And then they bring them back, and they call the family up and say, hey, when are you all coming in so that we can go ahead and make the arrangements? And they say, we're not coming in. Hey, what do you mean you're not coming? We're not coming in. You got her, now you take care of her. And the county at those places had now, they had been overrun with this kind of thing. And so as a result of that, the county had said, we can no longer offer money for pauper's burial because of this was happening so much. But what do we expect when we start aborting babies Then life? I, I, listen, it's not going to be any time until euthanasia really takes over. 
What do you mean by euthanasially? I mean they're going to walk into a nursing home and they're going to start going down through there and they're going to start saying, well, your life is not useful. You're, okay, maybe you, you, but no, his life is not useful. And what are we going to do? In, in a lot of places, assisted suicide is happening all over the place because we don't value life. We don't value life. And so, but according to the 16th chapter of the book of Luke, the rich man, it says, and he was buried. But you know what it says about Lazarus? It says the angels came and carried him all the way home. Man, that's me. I want to get on that express lane. Angels came and carried him all the way home. And the Bible says to be absent in this body is to be present with the Lord. Listen, there's no such thing. I know I'm over time, so just hang on. I'll get out of here. Now, there's no such time and there's no such thing as soul sleep. I know Seventh-day Adventists, they teach that. They teach that, you know, you got to go to sleep. And we, we stay in this slumber thing until finally the Lord comes and, and he comes back and he gets, no, you don't. Read the 16th chapter. All their senses, everything was there. To be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. The Bible says there's a great host of witnesses waiting on the other side. The moment I die, bam, I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going to be with Jesus. You know, so we, the good news is we overcome. Psalms 139, the angels come and get us. And, and, and Psalms 139, it tells us this. It says, your eyes saw my substance. You know, this, boy, you think about abortion here. But your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And your book, they were all written the days fashioned for me when yet there was none of them. What does that mean in plain English? Here's what it means. It means all my days, look at this, all my days were laid out in front of him before I was even one day old. God knows what you're going to be doing tomorrow. He knows what you're going to be doing 20 years from now. He, he, he's, he had your whole life because he's out of time and space. So when he looks at you, he sees your whole life. So when he forgives you, as Colossians says, what sins does he forgive? He forgives all of them because he sees your whole life spread out before him. You know? So Psalms 30, all our days related for him. And Jeremiah, Jeremiah and also Isaiah say he goes before us. So wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever, the Lord's already waiting for you. 1 Corinthians 6.20 tells us we're, we're bought with a price. You and I were on the auction block one time and Jesus came and he, and he bought us. He bought us. Another word, word for uh, bought is redeemed. And First Peter 1, 1, 18, 19 says this, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold for your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and spot. You want a great picture of this? Go read the book of Hosea. Gomer, the wife of Hosea, is on the auction block. They got her stripped off naked. She's up there, and she's standing, and all these men are standing out there, men probably that had used her as a prostitute or whatever. And God instructs Hosea to go and buy her back and take her home with him as her mother of the three children. And he does it. That's what Jesus did for you. Gives you a great picture of that. Well, I'm not going to get to finish this sermon Lord led me in all kinds of different directions, and so I did it, okay? Jesus paid the ultimate price for you in order for you to have a victorious life, and the Bible assures us that sin will not have dominion over it. Let me me give you four things, and I promise I'll quit. Promise. Okay? And here they are. The, the, The four things that Jesus accomplished on the cross. Let me give them to you here. 
Number one, he, 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 he accomplished justification. What do you mean justification? The four things of the death of the cross. He paid the price. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, I have peace with God. I've been justified. Justification, which means that God has not only forgiven our sins, but has granted us the righteousness of Christ. Thus, we're, look at this. We're fully pleasing to the Lord. We're fully pleasing to Him. Why? Because all of our sins are gone. It means not only that I've been forgiven, but God has has justified me just as if I had never sinned. Here's the second thing. Second thing is reconciliation. We needed to be reconciled to God. God didn't need to be reconciled to us. We need to be reconciled to Him. And on the cross, Jesus reconciled. Colossians 1, 21, verse 22 says this, And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He's reconciled. He brought you there. Verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless above reproach in his sight. What does that mean? He presented you holy and blameless in front of God the Father because of what he's done. Okay? And then verse 3. In other words, let me go back to that just a minute because here's the other thing. We owed a bill. This is why Jesus looked at the Pharisees once and said, you're going to die in your sin. What is, if there's other people today that are going to die in their sins. Why are they dying in their sins? Because they got an old bill and it's never been paid. Never been paid. And yet Jesus paid the bill for us. You know, we owe the bill. That's why Romans 6, 23, which says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The third thing is this. Jesus, Jesus sacrificed on the cross the propitiation. If John Gherkin was here, he'd say, you can't say that word. Propitiation, verse John 4, 9 and 10. Propitiation means that Christ satisfied God's wrath, his death on the cross. Some people, Christians, think that God's always out to get them. He's not angry with you anymore because Jesus took all the wrath. He took it all. Uh, Therefore, I am deeply loved by God. Say that with me. I am deeply loved by God. Say it again. I am deeply loved by God. Yes, you are. Don't miss this. This is what what you and I do to deserve. What what is it that we do to deserve God's love? Here it is. Nothing. And to say that I'm deeply loved by God, you you can't earn his love. That's just who he is. Do I understand it? No, I don't understand how he could love us like he does, but he does. And fourth, and lastly, is regeneration. I had people in my own family, and one of the things I'd hear them say, they they used to talk about how they were the black sheep. And they would even say things like this, well, you know, I'm just a black sheep. I am what I am, and I can't change. That's a lie. That's a lie from the devil. Why? Why? Because the Bible says that God wants to regenerate you. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When Jesus died, you died. When he arose from the dead, you arose from the dead. We, we rose in a brand new kind of life. Regeneration means a new creation in Christ. This wonderful new birth is what Jesus explained to Nicodemus. Many people mistakenly claim that they are what they are and they can't change, but this is not what God says. He says, behold, all things are new uh, uh, if you are in Christ. So I've, I've finished this way. So, Joshua, so God encouraged Joshua to go and conquer the promised land by telling him he would never leave him or forsake him. 
This same encouragement is ours on a daily basis. He will never leave us nor forsake us because of what God Jesus did on the cross. We have justification. Uh, what is it? And here we go. Here it is. Uh, I wish I could split that screen up there, Brandon. I know we can't. But, but put up there what we usually read on Sunday morning. Justification. I am fully pleasing to the Father. I am fully pleasing to the Father. Uh, I must meet where it says I must meet. And what are those people say? I must meet certain standards to feel good about my lot self. Some of us have got people in our life that the only way we think we'll ever be at peace is when those people will approve us. And there are some people that will never approve you. Second thing, reconciliation. I am totally accepted by the Father. The fear of rejection is gone. I'm never going to be rejected by him. If God be for you, who can be against you? It is God who justifies what the Bible Propitiation. I'm deeply loved by the Father. Punishment no longer have to fear. And finally, regeneration. I'm a new creature in Christ. And you know what? Sin always produces what? Shame. But the shame is gone. I, I can change. So praise God. Jericho, here we come. That's what he wants us to do. We're overcomers. We're people that can live our life and, and be at peace and happy like nobody else can be. So I pray, you know, what, 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 is, what is the thing, since I've been here, I've been here, what, nine, how, many, how long have I been here, Thelma? You know? Huh? No, I don't mean this sermon. Yeah. This has not been a good day. My Sunday school class, I felt like they were on drugs or something. They all just sort of... And like that, you know, and, and then, so how long have I been here? 19 years? Huh? 19 years. And, and you know, the thing I guess I'm trying to get over to you guys more than anything, when I finish one of these days, whenever that's going to be, maybe sooner than we all realize, but I'm, I'm trying to get you to come to the place that you move out of the wilderness over into the promised land. I'm trying to get you to move out of chapter 7, of Romans and move over to chapter 8. That's what we're trying to do. Why? Because you cannot accomplish anything in chapter 7. Paul wrote chapter 7, and those are the things he was saying. You know, oh, wretched man that I am. Uh, I, you know, I, the things I should do, I don't do. But then you get over in, uh, in chapter 8, and all that good stuff's happened. All that good, wonderful stuff. And you get to those last verses uh, in chapter 8 where it says that I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come is able to separate me from the love of God. And when a person comes to the place that they know how much God loves them and cares for them and he's with them all the time, then as a result of that, what can they accomplish for the kingdom of God? But until you move over into chapter 8, I don't believe that you can accomplish anything for the kingdom of God. That's it. We're going to have a verse of invitation. And